I'm Shahar Azani, and in the news, the fight against anti-Semitism and the IHRA definition. We've all witnessed recent anti-Semitic acts in the U.S. and globally, and we ask ourselves the perpetual questions of how to best fight it. One important element in the fight is our ability of reaching an agreement of how to define it. On May 26, 2016, the 31 member states of the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, the IHRA, of which the U.S. is a member, adopted what they termed as a non-legally binding working definition of anti-Semitism. The definition states, among other things, anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews which may be expressed as hatred toward Jews. Rhetorical and physical manifestation of anti-Semitism are directed toward Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property toward Jewish community institutions and religious facilities. The definition relates to contemporary examples of anti-Semitism in public life, the media, schools, workplace, and in the religious sphere. Among others, it includes using the symbols and images associated with classic anti-Semitism to characterize Israel or Israelis. A proposal submitted over the weekend would require the Israeli parliament, the Knesset, to adopt the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism. I believe it's high time. The IHRA working definition has been adopted by 35 countries, at least a dozen American states, the European Union Parliament, and hundreds and hundreds of organizations and universities worldwide. It was formally endorsed by the Israeli government in 2017, but it was never adopted by the Knesset. Globally, the battle to adopt the IHRA definition is still raging, but there are many who oppose it. To learn more about what's happening now on the sphere of anti-Semitism and the IHRA, it's a great pleasure to have with us again on JBS, the legendary one and only Abe Foxman, an admired community leader, activist, and thinker. Abe is a Holocaust survivor who was active with the ADL for 50 years, 28 of which serving as its national director. He has been and still is for many years the clarion Jewish voice in U.S. society and politics. Abe, thank you so much for joining me today. Good to be with you, Shachar. Um, so much is happening. You know, every time we speak, something new is happening. So allow me to start. I'm just wondering uh, to hear what you think about what happened recently on The View with Whoopi Goldberg and her statement, her suspension. What's your feeling on this issue? Well, it's a sad example of arrogance and ignorance. Uh, and I, I'm one of those who thinks there's a bias there. A lot of people have, you know, embraced her apology and said, oh, she's a good person. She loves us. I'm not sure. I've had my experience with her 20 years ago. She submitted a recipe. There was a celebrity cookbook in Connecticut to raise money for a charity. And the celebrities submitted recipes. Her recipe was Jewish American princess fried chicken. And it had all the stere anti-Semitic stereotypes call your chauffeur, hire a, a cook, do your nails. And I remember, um, you know, when, when I criticized her and said it's insensitive, it's, it's, it, she should know better, she called and cursed me out. Um, and, and then her agent said, well, she's Jewish. And so they, she's got issues with us. Um, I hope it's a learning experience. I'm not sure, you know, all she wanted was to apologize and get it off her back because we're into cancel culture. And she was worried about cancel culture. I'm opposed to cancel culture. I hope it would be an educational experience, but I'm not sure Whoopi Goldberg is gonna be the one that's gonna go out there and educate about the Holocaust and the Shoah. So I think it reminds us how much ignorance there is uh, 
that even people in public life who should know don't know, or if they know, they don't care enough. Right. And, and do you think under the circumstances, there are a lot of people who criticize her suspension? Do you think it was justified? Well, again, I'm not sure what the suspension did. You know, some of us said, you know, tell her to go to Yad Vashem or tell her to go to the Holocaust Museum or tell her to engage in a course and maybe meet with Holocaust survivors, etc. Suspension didn't do much except possibly put her into the martyr category. So it's Nishtahar Nishtahin. So what? So did she take the two weeks to study Jewish history or anti-Semitism or the Shoah? No, she, she sat there and birched it, okay? And a lot of people said, you know, it wasn't fair, it was fair. Um, I, I think ABC struggled and I think they missed in, in terms of what they could have done. There's still time, there's always time. They can devote a week of the view to discuss the Holocaust. Uh, I, you know, Ofri, um, uh, the Ofri show did it uh, she brought in Ellie Wiesel when she realized how much ignorance there's, there's out there. So there's still time to fix it. You know, I, you can't really underestimate the ignorance when somebody of prominence says on national TV that the Holocaust was not about race. I couldn't believe my ears when I heard it. And, I'm, you know, even forget about Whoopi for a minute. For, for such a statement to be heard on, on, on such a platform, it, it, it really is of the highest level of ignorance possible. And it's worse when she said, oh, big deal. It was white guys killing white guys. Who cares? Right. That, that's so insensitive. And, and she knows what the Holocaust is, but she put it down to, to the basis terms. But look, the ignorance is out there. There was a video on Instagram this week uh, showing interviews with young people. Uh, the ignorance is abysmal. But again, American, American schools don't teach current history. They don't teach World War II. I'm not sure they teach the Civil War anymore now because of all the issues and conflicts, but they don't teach geography, they don't teach history. So I am not shocked that youngsters today do not know what Shoah, what, what Auschwitz is, six million, etc. But she's from a different generation. She's from a generation where her family members probably fought in World War II and maybe even died. And so for her to be so ignorant or arrogant or cavalier is, is, is what's shocking. So, you know, what would you say needs to be done to really overcome that ignorance in the public sphere? You're talking about schools and the importance of education. What about the, uh, the, the public sphere, the public debate? What more could and should be done? What would you recommend our viewers to do in order to improve the situation in this regard? Well, part of it, look, I, I was fortunate enough to be on the committee that decided to open up a US Holocaust uh, Museum in Washington. And it was a serious debate. Do we need it? What will it do, et cetera? And it was a recognition, not only by, it was a recognition by our government, because Carter put that commission together. Elie Wiesel, Zerfonol, shared that commission. And we spent days and days worrying, and I will never forget the conversation where, where somebody said, well, all right, we'll build this museum in Washington. And after the Jews come, it will be empty. And it will be an insult to all the victims. And we said, no, we have greater aspirations and hope for the American people. And that was so wrong. 
it, it was till recently the number two visited site in Washington. It is now number three after the Smithsonian, the African American Museum, then it, millions of people come. So the answer is yes, there is a need and there's an opportunity to educate. The, there are the museums around, Holocaust museums around the country, are, I wouldn't say flourishing because of, of COVID, but they are active. They teach children, they teach adults. Um, there are today seven states in the United States that mandate education on the Holocaust in middle school and high school. It would be nice if we had 25 states uh, that would mandate. So one thing is to mandate that education because the Holocaust you know, uh, happened to us but it's, it shows what hate could do, what words of hate can lead to. And therefore, yeah, it was, it was our tragedy, but it has a universal message that words can kill. Words matter and silence matters. So yeah, I, I think it's not only about us. It, it's about us, but, but it teaches about hatred everywhere. Yes, so I believe an effort should be made to mandate education in the states and of local boards of education. I belong on the New Jersey Holocaust Commission as well as the US Holocaust. And I am, I am so flabbergasted by the amount of work that is possible, the amount of schools and institutions who want to learn, who want to hear. And we have another issue and that is survivors are, are, are you know, there are fewer and fewer of us around. And so as long as we have them, we should utilize them to teach the lessons. So yeah, it could be done, Shahar, it could be done. And in the places where it's mandated, there are good people, teachers, principals, institutions who, who care about transmitting the, the lesson. Because again, uh, it, it shows you what hate can do. And I think um, loud and clear your message here, Abe, is words matter, words can kill. And I think that perception of the Holocaust, not just as a, as a Jewish issue, but as a universal issue of concern that needs to be a, a matter of concern for everyone who cares about the direction of our society. It's absolutely true. I want to dive into the IHRA for a minute. We, you know, that definition has been um, floating in midair. People hear about this fleetingly, this discussion, that discussion. How do you feel about the IHRA definition? Does it satisfy you? And how does it contribute to the battle against anti-Semitism? Let me start with the Israel issue that you, that you mentioned. Right. Uh, many years when I was in the ADL, we, we fought the boycott. You know, it wasn't BDS. It was an economic boycott that the Arab League established to strangle Israel. And we fought very, very hard to develop anti-boycott legislation in the United States. And we finally succeeded. So it was you know, an American company who acquiesced to the Arab boycott would be in violation of American law. And ironically, we woke up one morning to realize, you know what? The state of Israel has no anti-boycott legislation. So what we were requiring and mandating American citizens not to Israeli, some Israeli companies were acquiescing because there was no law. It took a while. So it's ironic that um, you know so much discussion and debate is about anti-Semitism relating to Israel and anti-Zionism, etc. And Israel doesn't hasn't so. Look, I think the very fact that the international community struggled with the issue of what is anti-Semitism is a positive. The fact it took six years, it took very serious people. It were scholars, academics, 
government people, politicians, government leaders who understood that we're wasting too much time and energy in trying to say it is or it isn't and what is it and how is it. So the very fact that serious people said, let's eliminate this debate and discussion every time, can allow yes or no. So yeah, from that perspective, it's very important. But we, we should also understand the definition won't solve anti-Semitism, <laughs> the wording, but it does help. And, and probably the reason you say it's under debate and discussion is only on the issue of Israel, because the definition itself had no problems. But in order to understand what it means, <clears throat> you have to give Lemashal. What does it mean? The Mashal, what is? And so they gave specific examples of, of what is anti-Semitism. And many of them related to Israel, challenging the legitimacy of Israel, comparing it to Nazism, et cetera. And that's what caused issues because that put it on another level, on another platform. So people who don't like Israel in the community, outside of Israel, that became an issue and it's still an issue. And you will find that wherever today there's a debate about it, it's not on the issue of, it's on the issue of Israel. And it's the anti-Israel elements who don't like the definition because it puts you know, questioning the legitimacy, comparing it to Nazism as anti-Semitism, which they don't like because that's what they're engaged in. But otherwise it is growing in acceptance. Universities are accepting it more and more. Um, government throughout the world are accepting it. The United States government has accepted it basically by statements from the president and the secretary of state that that's our policy. We haven't enacted it. There are some issues of first amendment, which um, the ACLU and others would raise. But again, it's, it's a guidance, it's not legislation. It's, 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 a, it's a sense of, so as long as it's not legislated and therefore you can, you can be prosecuted if, if you act against it, uh, there should be no issue of first amendment certainly not in this country or any other country. And the fact that it is not legally binding, is that a concern or is that actually an advantage in your eyes? I, I believe it's an advantage because, uh, look, again, when I was with the ADL, we helped enact um, hate crimes legislation. And a lot of people said, you know, based on the First Amendment and freedom of speech, you don't want to make hate a crime. And we understood that. And what hate crimes legislation did was it said, if there is a crime, let's say arson, if you burn down a building for money, the punishment is X. If you burn down the building for hate, it's already a crime, but the punishment is X plus Y. So we didn't create thoughts and words as, as, um, as a crime. And so here too, I understand if you legislated then it would come into into opposition of, of issues of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, which I think would, would make it more controversial and therefore will not be as universally accepted as it is being accepted today. The, the definition itself or the campaign to adopt it is very much seen like a Jewish campaign, you know, campaign of Jewish organizations, pro-Israel organizations. Why haven't we been able to enlist the support of other organizations outside of the Jewish world who would be willing to stand by um, the Jewish organizations when it comes to the IHRA, even though it's anti-Semitism, 
it, it does come to, you know, fight. The feeling is, I want to say, that there is more support, for instance, to what you see waves of um, anti-Asian hate than you see to anti-Semitism, to counter anti-Semitism. How do you see that in the general public opinion? I think the advocacy comes from the Jewish community, and that's where it should come. It's on our backs, it's, it's our lives, it's our safety, it's our security. And I, I believe, again, if you look at Asian, uh, the campaign of advocacy against Asian American hate comes from the Asians. And same thing with the LGBT. They're in the forefront of fighting the prejudice directed us. I don't have an issue. You measure its quote unquote success by where it's voted on. It's voted on by institutions that aren't Jewish. We're not talking about the World Jewish Congress and the ZOA or even Israel accepting it. We're talking about universities, which are not Jewish institutions, governments. We're talking about corporate entities. We're talking about um, professional associations, which are not Jewish. So in fact, it, the support comes from non-Jews, even though the Jewish community is the one that advocated. Uh, the definition, again, was, was designed and written and conceived, not by Jews, quad Jews. There were Jews in the various committees and councils but it was done by professionals, by, by politicians, academics, and, and government leaders who, again, were not Jewish. But without the stimulus, without the advocacy of the Jewish community, it wouldn't have happened. Right. Understood. Uh, I want to take advantage. We started uh, to talk about The View and Whoopi Goldberg. And February is Black History Month. I want to ask you about your perception of, you know, Jewish-Black relations in this country. And I want to specifically uh, ask you about, you know, the too many videos we see come out of Brooklyn and sometimes elsewhere where you see uh, young Black people who uh, attack Hasidic Jews or others uh, in the dead of night or in, in clear anti-Semitic attacks. Uh, we, we've seen various incidents of such as, not all of them comes from the black community, but many of them do. How do you feel about this and how do you see this? Uh, also, we need to identify part of them recently have come from the black Hebrew Israelites, which is a cult. It's a sect um, which has all kinds of issues. These are um, blacks, African-Americans or others, who believe that they are the chosen people. And uh, there were issues in Israel, still issues in Israel. I think that's the one from the, uh, from the Jersey market, right? The attack on Jersey. Right. And there was also on the West Coast recently a couple of instances of anti semitism So there, this is a peculiar issue, um, which you know, doesn't, doesn't infect the African-American community, but they are black Hebrews, et cetera. So that's part of the issue. There's a broader issue out there. Um, and when, again, when I was in the ADL, we used to poll the American public on attitudes. And we found, um, sadly, that the attitudes in the African-American community and the Latino community, their attitudes on anti-Semitism were high, almost twice as, as high as the average American community. Um, African-Americans, it was about 30 to 40 percent uh, were infected with the stereotypes. Part of it is, is lack of education. Part of it is that the conspiracy theories are out there. Part of it is lack of leadership because <clears throat> who stands up? If, if the voice is, is Louis Farrakhan and Louis Farrakhan is a hero, Louis Farrakhan is a leader, Louis Farrakhan is a voice. I, would, I once said, you give me a tape of Louis Farrakhan's rallies and without listening to the words, I will tell you 
when he's talking about anti-Semitism by just listening to the decibel of applause. That's how sad it is. So since Martin Luther King was the last African-American leader who spoke out clearly, clearly against anti-Semitism, there is no leadership. So there's nobody really to stand up and say, it doesn't serve us, doesn't serve our interests, doesn't serve our relationship. By the way, um, 40% of the Latino community is infected with anti-Semitism. That's the bad news. The good news is American-born Latinos, it's half. But there too, it's, it's the church teachings. Yes, the church has forgiven the Jews, but it hasn't filtered into Mexico or, or Honduras or Guatemala, where the immigrants come from. Uh, again, the economic deprivation, they're susceptible to conspiracy theories. So yeah, it's out there. Um, the relationships are, are, are becoming tough because of economics, because of geography. Jew, you know, the Hasidim moved into Jersey City, um, so it became an economic conflict. The issues in Crown Heights were also economic, housing, jobs, etc. Um, so it is an issue that needs to be dealt with. Um, it's partially because of ignorance partially because of, of the economic condition. But to me, the most serious issue is there is no leadership. There is no leadership that stands up against it. And, and I struggled. I remember I went to the Chicago Defender, which is a African-American newspaper in uh, Chicago uh, when, when the Farrakhan issue was. And I said, you know what? If you could convince me that, that being anti-Semitic in the African-American community to Jews will give you a job, housing, a future, I will say, okay, for the next five years, you can be anti-Semitic, but it doesn't. It doesn't produce anything. In fact, it turns off Jews for being, you know, more supportive. There is an issue. The answer to it is education and leadership. And, um, and it, it's, it's not a priority, I understand, but I think both communities need to understand that, you know, in the future, we need each other. We needed each other in the past, and we certainly need each other in the future. You know, uh, <clears throat> as it's been said many a time in the past, this kind of hate is poison, and a body that decays doesn't care if it's the hand or the leg, it threatens the entirety of the body. But, you know, you're mentioning Farrakhan, and I'm thinking about <clears throat> the recent tantrum about Joe Rogan, and I ask myself, how come there hasn't been a public outcry, serious public outcry, not just from, from us, about Farrakhan's words and deeds and his lectures and him preaching hatred to such a degree. How could that be, Abe, from your vintage point and experience, the, the best experience that exists out there as a Jewish leader? How can you explain this to someone like me who's truly baffled in the face of it? Yes, well, first of all, because he is a leader. So they need a leader. He's a leader. He speaks to their pride. He speaks to their hope. He speaks to... So, you know, that's more important to them than what he says about Jews. So that, that's... An, but, you know, ask the question about Mel Gibson. Why, why have so many others been canceled? And I'm not for cancel culture. I spent my life trying to change people's minds and hearts. I don't think canceling does anything except maybe make him more of a bigot, more of an anti-Semite, more of a hater. But, but you can ask the same question. So why is Mel Gibson still out there where others have been canceled? The truth is um, there is a double standard. There is a double standard. Listen, um, look at Israel in terms of double standard. Right. Uh, I recently said 
that Israel has become the Jew of the nations. What used to be, you know, Jews can't do, now in the international community, it's what Israel can't do. Israel can't defend itself, can't name its capital, can't engage in things that it's, it's natural for everybody else. So there is a double standard, absolutely. And so you, we ask the questions, but again, I don't think the answer should be canceled. I don't want this one canceled, I don't want the other. I want him to be educated, because I don't think canceling gets us anywhere. So just uh, even though, you know, I could con continue with this for hours, I just want to conclude with your main message here, which I think is the word we've, keep, we've kept on hearing from you, is education, educate, educate, change hearts and minds. So how do you see the way forward? What can we do individually and as a society to make things better? So there, there's a bigger problem. And the bigger problem is that um, we have lost truth. We have lost truth uh, in our society. And when you fight bigotry, and especially when you fight anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism is the big lie. How do you fight a big lie? You fight it with truth. Uh, our society is so polarized and the last several years have broken all kinds of taboos in the public arena. Uh, the, you know, we don't know the difference between lies and truth. People lie. We used to know leaders would tell the truth, they don't tell the truth. So we don't know where the truth is. You can listen, journalism used to be an antidote. We used to use journalism to educate, to answer the big lie of anti-Semitism. Today, you know, journalism doesn't have the same respect, the same clout. So yeah, I think we need to bring back civility, respect for one another, respect for the truth. And that will help us to combat, to educate, to lessen. Um, and so it, it's much, much, much bigger than standing up to Whoopi, because if, if you don't have truth in our, and civility and respect, um, then it, yeah, it's about us, but it's not only about us. True, and, and to me, words matter. It matters what you say. The crematoria in Auschwitz did not begin with bricks. It began with words. And Shachar, I am living proof that people can make a difference. I'm sitting here with you today because 70 years ago, a lady who can barely read and write stood up and risked her life to save another human being because I was a human being. So people can make a difference, but it starts with words. I couldn't agree more. It's about us, but it's not just about us. Thank you so much, Abe. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being the clarion voice that you are against not just the evil of anti-Semitism and standing up for the Jewish people, but evil in general, to understand how to stand up for truth, for civility, and what's right. Truly, thank you so much. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be with you. And to you, our viewers, I'd just like to say, here is the message for you. Educate, fight, stand up, but use those principles yourselves. Be civil, be truthful, and stand up for what's right and just, not through the power of cancel culture, but through the power of education and changing hearts and minds. This is what we strive to do here at JBS, and this is why we're proud of having Abe Foxman speak to us about this important principle with such experience and authority. Thank you so much for watching. I'd like to thank our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS's managing director, Dara Golub, our technical manager, Michael Paley, transmission manager, John McDevitt, and to our wonderful producer of In the News, Carol Lilienthal. For JBS, I'm Shahar Razani. Until next time, shalom and play it all.